<laughs> well, good morning, church. How good is it to be together on a Saturday morning? This is such a sweet time for us. What yeah. a privileged people we are that we can gather like this together for a whole weekend. Uh, church, I want to talk to us this morning some more about what we've been singing about. We were singing about the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of God's mercy. And that mercy is a mercy that takes people that are in absolute darkness and loneliness, who are spiritually dead, and brings them to new life, to redemption. But God doesn't just like wash us clean and, and give us this individual relationship with Him. He brings us into family. And so the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians, he, he says this, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. In each and every prayer of mine, making my prayers with joy for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What is it that made the Apostle Paul like look on at these people with such love and affection? You know, it wasn't just that he liked them and they had a load of stuff in common. It was that they'd found mercy in a common savior and they'd been brought together into a family at the cost of the precious blood of Jesus. And you know what, church, this morning we are privileged, not just because we come together by the mercy of God here as a family, but because God has given us these beautiful gospel partnerships with brothers and sisters all around the globe. And one of the beautiful partnerships that I just want to draw um, our attention to this morning as we welcome our brother is Eric Tibetsky and the guys up at Orange uh, Church, Church of Orange, Sovereign Grace Church of Orange in California. I got that right. And Santa Ana in well, California. Somewhere Old Town Orange. <laughs> got to get real specific. Uh, in America. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Somewhere over there. I want to introduce Eric to you because, man, it's not just that we love this guy. You know, it's not just that we have loads in common uh, with a brother who's a hillbilly from Pennsylvania because we do. Uh, we deeply love and care for these guys because of the partnership the Lord has given us through the blood of Jesus. You know, these guys, I mean, I was so affected yesterday hearing Eric share that the church in Santa Ana right now has been fasting for us that we might meet with God on this weekend away. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, where, where does that come from? Isn't that crazy? Who would do that? I'm over here. I ate breakfast this morning. He had breakfast. Yeah, good. Good, brother. That's crazy love, because that's love that comes from our Lord Jesus. People that have been brought into a family because of the blood of the Lord Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, church, uh, open your hearts uh, to our brother as he comes to service this morning. Um, This is a, a humble man. This is a man who has given much for the sake of seeing the gospel go forward in this church. This is a brother who constantly encourages your pastors. The amount of times that Eric has reached out with a, a conversation, with a word of encouragement. You shouldn't be surprised if you feel a large hand tapping you on the shoulder just to pull you aside and encourage you in Jesus because that is our brother 
Eric. So why don't we uh, give a warm welcome to Eric as he comes and serves us this morning. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's so kind. That was a really good breakfast this morning and I felt really guilty. <laughs> it's all my friends <laughs> back in the States starving for you. <laughs> I'm feasting. I am feasting. It is refreshing to be with you. Oh man, it is refreshing to be with you. Um, and an honor to be with you. I'd, I'd come just to sit in your seat and listen to these uh, men, the men in your church who lead, teach, and in fact, uh, thank you for sharing them with us. As Brendan uh, is alluding to, our hearts are intertwined, and, and in fact, even though we're, what, I don't know, 7,000 miles away, 8,000 miles away, we got one square mile of California that we call our neighborhood, and uh, Dave, Pastor Dave, has uh, been there, as of this month, he'll have preached twice in Orange. Brendan will have preached once. Uh, Riley has preached both in the Orange Church and the Santa Ana Church, and Patrick's uh, had been there, visited a few years ago. We didn't ask you to preach, I guess, no. no. I, I'm not sure we knew you were coming the first time, but now we do know you're coming uh, again potentially in November. So you are, uh, you are blessing us. Uh, and I wish, I wish I could get it all on tape and you could enjoy it, um, but I can't. Oh, plus, look, I've, I was informed since I've arrived here, um, I've been informed that uh, in... In establishing our partnership, some of the nerdiest of the Orange Church members, our Lord of the Rings nerds, uh, who, oh, I, it's embarrassing to even say that they, they, the cosplay thing, you know what cosplay is? Uh, yeah, I've heard that they have begun to include you and your church on Sunday morning in their, as a stop in their pilgrimage to the Shire in New Zealand. I heard there's been three already. Some, one of them you, you were unawares of. So, but if you see a wizard or a hobbit in the back of the room, it's us. <laughs> we love you, and you're welcome. <laughs> oh, really? It is. I, I really I, just to say, I, I just can't be more pleased. It's it's your generosity and um, God's grace. Uh, couldn't be more pleased uh, how God is developing our friendship as sister city sovereign grace churches years ago we talked about this and 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 now it's happening so thank you you're so generous towards us um well let me let me get us started first john chapter four you could turn your bibles on or turn in your bibles first john chapter four same as i said last night a quick orientation where where are we headed this weekend three sessions they all build upon one another one's going to build on the next this morning God is love. This evening, we are loved. The church is loved. And then Sunday, our last session tomorrow morning, all of humanity is wired to desire to be loved by God. That's where we're heading. And my prayer, our prayer, is Paul's prayer to the Thessalonians. May the Lord direct our hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, God is love. Would you look with me? Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God. 
because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Let's just stop and pray for some understanding. Father, I think of the psalmist this morning who wrote, we will sing of your steadfast love forever. We will sing of your steadfast love forever. Forever, Father, we pray, may this moment away from our homes prove just what we need, individually and corporately, as a local church, that we would sing your love forever. I pray you'd pour your love into our hearts, animate our affections, and as you animate our affections, light bulbs would turn on, that you would instruct us, you would cause us, convince us to believe and to trust you, that we might be changed for your glory, for our good. Father, I pray, send your spirit to do what only you can do. Show us Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, a few years ago, a, a professor of a seminary conducted a study. It was an informal study. One question, 120 students. Here it is. Do you believe, this is a seminary, do you believe that God loves you? Easy, simple question. Do you believe that God loves you? And out of the 120 seminary students, how many do you suppose answered in the affirmative yes? Yes. It obviously isn't 100% because that wouldn't be fun, right? But listen, not even 80% could say answer yes. Not 50%, not 40, 30, 10. Only two out of 120 seminary students could respond anonymously that they believe, yes, I, I believe God loves me. The, the rest answers, you know, some variation of, I know, I, know, I know the Bible says God loves me, but I don't feel it. I know the right answer is yes, but I just can't say for sure. Two out of 20, I'm not an expert, but I can bat, spot a bad trend. And, and then that made me wonder when I read this report. How would I respond? Am I any different? If I were a seminary student, how would I do? How would you do, Sovereign Grace Church, if we paused for a moment and took a survey? Right. So, some of you have been church people for a long, long time. Yet I, I'd still I'd wonder if you answered honestly, do you believe that God loves you? Or do you have reservations? Perhaps because of some lingering 
guilt that you experience, maybe for a historic sin or, or a besetting sin, a sin that you're attempting to re- repent of or maybe not even attempting to repent of, and it's just there, how could he love me? Perhaps, perhaps you have suffered in some way or you're disappointed with your life, right? Your spouse or a lack of a spouse, your work, your children, your parents, your finances, your physical appearance. You're just not who you would want to love, and so then, therefore, you doubt his love. I, th- I think you would do better than 120, or two out of 120. I think you do, and I, I know you, I know your pastors, but here, herein lies the difficulty. Knowing God's love and experiencing God's love are two very different things. You can know that God loves you because your pastor says God loves you. You can know God loves you because we sing songs that say God loves you. You can read about God's love in the Bible and know that God loves you, but you don't really, you don't really know God's love unless you've tasted of his love yourself. Jonathan Edwards, that that same guy I quoted last night, he had a great way of explaining this this difference between knowing and experiencing God's love. He wrote wrote it as an analogy. Here it is. You you can know honey is sweet because someone tells you honey is sweet, but you really don't know honey's sweetness until you've tasted it. Which, trying to understand your context here, I reckon maybe for for you Aussies, might, might be a little bit like that. Is it called Vegemite? I've, I've been here before. I'm, I'm, I'm on to you. You're not fooling me. You guys don't eat that stuff. It's just here to frighten the tourists. <laughs> Vegemite. Vegemite, according to Google. I, I was given some by this guy here. Um, according to Google, tastes like sadness. <laughs> Google it. But... And here's my point. You don't really know what sadness <laughs> truly is until you've tasted Vegemite. <laughs> Listen, I think you instinctively know, know that God is love. You instinctively know that God is love. And that he loves. That's why the average person on the street is going to say things like relationships are more important than, than accumulating wealth or prestige or power. It's not hard to get people to agree that love is a fundamental principle, a, an organizing force in the, the world that we live in that orders our world and brings meaning to everything. That's why the Beatles sang, right? All we need is love. It's why romance sells Instagram exists. We know that God is love. But do we really know what it tastes like? Have you tasted it for yourself? I I would wonder if some of you have been church people for a long time. Whether you've forgotten or never tasted it. Don't really really know 
the sweetness of his love. Now allow me to make, I'm going to make three statements this morning. I'm not going to approach our sessions necessarily like, like sermons. They're, they're, they're rather, like we spoke last night, like paragraphs, right? Sentences, moments intended to lodge truth into our hearts and change us. All right, three, three statements regarding the, the radical math we just read in John's letter that God is love. God is love. Here's statement number one. Number one, only Christianity claims God is love. Did you know that? Only Christianity makes the claim that God is love. The, the religious person, whoever that person is, from wherever their background is from, will suggest that love comes from God. Instinctively, they know this, but, but Christianity teaches that God himself is love. Love isn't God, but God is love. We, we need to be precise. John doesn't necessarily mean that God is simply loving. No, it's what God is. A noun rather than a verb. Don't correct me, English teachers. An attribute rather than, rather than an action or an activity. You, you see, all kinds of faith, and there's all kinds of faiths out there, proclaim a God who loves. Judaism, God who loves. Islam, Mormonism. But when Christians teach that God is himself, Love, we are saying that real love itself has its origin, its essence. What, what is this? This love in God. All true love comes from the one who is love. Think about this for just a moment. Uh, a solitary God cannot be loved. He, he can learn to love. He can yearn to love, right? He can yearn for love, to be loved, but he cannot in himself, this solitary God, be loved since love requires an object. Real love requires a relationship with someone or something. And like I said, we, we all know instinctively we all know this instinctively. Love is part of the fabric of creation, the, the world that we exist in. But if you have a God who in his power creates, in his power, and then consequently because he has created in his power, then loves his creation, you have a God who has learned to love, yearned to love, right? Needed something to love, but did not love all the way back in the beginning. Michael Reeves, a fabulous book on, called Delighting in the Trinity. Listen, listen to him muse on the exclusivity of the Christian claim that God is love. This is, this is what he writes. Such are the problems of a, a, a single person God. I love that. Such are the problems of a single person God having spent eternity alone. This single person God is inevitably, what? A self-centered person. And so it becomes hard to see why this single person God would ever 
cause anything else to exist in the first place. Wouldn't the existence of a universe be an irritating distraction for the God whose greatest pleasure is looking in a mirror? This is what he says. Creating just looks like a deeply unnatural thing for a single person, God. And this leads me to my second statement. God is love, right? And this is an exclusively Christian claim because, number two, only Christianity claims God is triune. Only Christianity claims God is triune. You following me? All love is fundamentally a Trinitarian-shaped reality, for in the doctrine of the Trinity, we finally see how love can be part of the fabric of creation, which we all know instinctively is. Creation becomes essential to an eternal creator who needs nothing, doesn't need anything, but having loved himself, Father, Son, Spirit, from eternity past, in community, in relationship, always and forever and perfectly satisfying that loving relationship that is bound up in the very nature of God himself. God is love because God is tri-personal. Creation, therefore, is by definition then this experience of the ever-spreading outward explosion of God's love for God. Try personal God forever loving. Another writer calls it the dance of the Trinity. Spreading. If you believe that love is the meaning of the universe, and you may be here, I don't, I don't know you. Some of you may, someone drug you here. This would, wouldn't have drugged you. Dragged you. There's my, if we were in California. Oh, man. Oh, man. I don't know. I could run a rabbit trail. Glorious creation. Oh, dear. Huh. <laughs> If you believe love is the meaning for the universe, you can believe that whether you're a Christian or not. I I think most people do instinctively. I would argue argue logically that you must believe in a multi-personal God. Some multi-personal being that was loving And because he was loving himself, we exist. Listen, the the Trinity, here's what I'm saying. The Trinity, the Trinity becomes the basis for your intuition, an explanation for your intuition that the world exists because of and for love. If you think love is important, if you think relationships are more important than accumulating power and wealth, and I believe you do, I do, then this is your kind of God. You need a triune God who has been loving 
for all of eternity as the Father has loved the Son in the Spirit. Michael Reeves, again, same book. He states this so clearly. Loving others is not a strange or novel thing for this kind of God. Loving loving others is not a strange or novel thing for this kind of God. It is rather the root of who God is. God is love because God has always loved himself. Now, you can know honey is sweet because someone tells you honey is sweet. But you really don't know its sweetness until you have tasted it. And that is why last night and even this session this morning is oriented towards thinking about heaven where God dwells. He's everywhere, but but that doesn't mean that he doesn't manifest himself, his presence in the same fashion everywhere at all times. In heaven, heaven, remember Jonathan Edwards, heaven, heaven is a world of love. So let me pick up where he left off in his book, Charity and Its Fruits, Love and Its Fruits. He writes, listen, in every heart in heaven, Love dwells and reigns. The heart of God is the original seat or subject of love. Divine love is in him, not as, a, as in a, a subject that receives it from another, but is it its original source. Love is in God as light is in the sun. Love is in God as light is in the sun, he writes, which does not shine by reflected light, but its own. He is the great fountain of love. This is how a Puritan writes. (laughs) From God, listen to his logic, love flows out towards all the inhabitants of heaven. It flows out in the first place necessarily and infinitely towards his only begotten son. Being poured forth without mixture, pure, Right? As to an object that is infinite and so fully adequate to all the fullness of a love that is infinite. And this infinite love is infinitely exercised towards the Son. You know this. He is the infinite object, an infinite subject of love. Jesus. The Father infinitely loves Jesus. Infinitely, eternally, mutually, wholly. Energy between the Father and the Son, a pure and holy act. Edwards writes, where the deity becomes, as it were, one infinite and unchangeable emotion of love. The dance of the Trinity. And then he writes, and this is where good news comes in. But, but love is not confined to just the Father and the Son. It can't. This love flows out in 
innumerable streams towards all the created inhabitants of heaven, to all the saints and angels there. The love of God the Father flows out towards Christ the head and to all of creation which loves only as if it were a reflected love. Now like the moon and the sun. All creatures reflecting back his love. God, the fountain of love. They, in heaven, all love God with a supreme love. For in heaven there is no enemy. No obstacle. They are all united. Oh, this is a picture of heaven. They are all united, saints and angels, with one mind to breathe forth with their whole souls in love to God, their eternal Father, to Jesus Christ, their, eter- their common Redeemer, head and friend. And then he says another paragraph that changed my life. And Christ in heaven loves all the saints. His love flows out to his whole church there and to every individual member of it. And they all with one heart and one soul unite in love to their common Redeemer. Every heart is wedded to this holy and spiritual husband and all rejoice in him. Every heart, no longer just knowing, but every heart wedded, rejoicing in him. This is what it looks like to know God loves you, but also to know the sweetness of that love and I would add statement number three this is the best thing about God his love for himself that God is love this is the best thing about God listen the love of God for God is the answer to the deepest longings of your heart. Michael Reeves again, I'm selling books. Delighting in the Trinity, he writes, in the triune God is the love behind all loves. The life behind all life. The music behind all music. The beauty behind all beauty and the joy behind all joy. The love of God for himself. Exclusive Christian claim. God is love. Because God is triune. 
And this is the best thing about him. He loves. He is love. God is love, and where, where, where do we see his love most clearly? Back to our original text in John, right? At the cross, surely. Verse 9, God is love, right? Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. How do we know that God sent his only son into the world so that you, we might live through him? There's experiencing his love. He loved us that we might live. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we, he, we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a, a propitiation for our sins. Do you want to taste the sweetness of his love. Gaze. Gaze into the infinite love the Father has for the Son. Manifested in the Son's infinite love for you. Do you want to experience God's love? Psalm 27, the psalmist says, one thing I ask of the Lord, that is, this is what I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. His love, His love is, for Himself, is the answer to your deepest, deepest longings. Another writer, he writes about the Trinity. This is what he says. So, in summary, the Trinity isn't some weird religious aberration Christians have stupidly clung to. It's the answer to the deepest longings of the human heart. The, the Trinity answers history's oldest desire. It even clarifies the question. It, it makes us go deeper than sentimental notions of ethereal feelings and elusive emotions. It puts us on solid ground, the Trinity. With all this love stuff we've been chasing forever. He writes, we're all looking for love. Deep down, we all need it in a ways we don't understand or even acknowledge. We search and we search. We find glimpses. We experience moments and tastes and samples of love. We have genuine experiences of love, and yet nothing quite gets us outside of ourselves and our hurts and needs and interests. We need the realist love there is. Faith, belief, trust. Faith, then, I would say, offer to you, is simply believing that there is a God who loves you, regardless of who you are and what you've done. 
and invites you into the dance of the Trinity. Eternal life. Listen, before we move on into a, the rest of our retreat day, listen, settle it in your heart and mind that you will pursue a, a, a sweeter taste, a deeper experience, a, a clearer glimpse maybe, just, just a glimpse of the love of God and the patience of Christ. Settle it in your heart before we walk out of this room to go after it, to taste it. Some of you, some of you just, just thinking about this God is love should, should sound off an alarm because you're indifferent. You're indifferent. No response to the, to the love of God. And, and should, so you should be concerned for your soul, I, I, I would suggest. I hope you'll ask. This would be the question. If you're, you're just thinking, yep, God, God is love, loved himself since eternity past. That's why the world exists. It's a spread of his love and a manifestation of his love through Christ for me. Ho-hum. You should, you should, you should at the moment say, what is wrong with me? You might say, I don't believe what you're talking about. But, it, but if you're convinced at all, there's anything in you that says, yup, I, I see it. There must be some sort of multi-person God who is love to make sense of this and this in me. <laughs> should be asking the question, then what is wrong with me? And perhaps God will use this retreat to awaken you from a deadness in your spiritual life. Fix your gaze on the heavens, a world of love. Grow dissatisfied with your present spiritual taste for love. And if you're wondering, okay, what's wrong with me? I've been asking what's wrong with me for years. I've asked all the pastors. They've bought me lots of coffees, given me lots of books. I've been to a couple retreats, and here I am sitting again saying, what's yeah, what, what's wrong with me then? What, what do I do? Well, let me encourage you in what is most, I would say, the most fascinating conversation in the Bible, John 17, where the God the Son is talking to God the Father. We catch a, we, you know, we, we pick up a little bit of the Trinitarian conversation going on as the son is about to lay down his life and he goes into this long prayer which basically is just one big long prayer of love for the father, for those that the father has given to the son. And what does he say at the end? Listen to his love for you. This is his love for you. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Oh, he loves you. And you know that. I could tell you that. God loves you. 
to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me. The Father loving the Son before the foundation of the world. Oh, there you go. Love is triune. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. He told them about the one that he loves. And I will continue to make it known. And then listen what he... That the love with which you have loved me may be in them also. The subject and object of infinite love, primarily in heaven, the Son, says, take all of that, Father. Take all that you are directing towards me. Send it to you. Send it to you. What's wrong with you? You're stuck. Start with. Start with agreeing with his prayer. For in it you have infinite assistance to experience the love of God. Infinite love spreading like an explosion. Manifest in our day through the man, Jesus Christ. And in his last days, praying that the one he has loved and has experienced his love from eternity past. Now, with every ounce of his affection for you, praise the same. Ask. Ask in small tastes and big tastes, in paragraphs and in sentences and moments, and maybe even this retreat. You will see. And know that God loves you. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, we gaze upon heaven, which is a world of love, where we want to be, where there's no obstacle and no enemy and no sin to hinder those there enjoying and reflecting back your love. And it makes us crave a new taste. Father, pour out your love through the work of your and presence of your spirit into the hearts of all of those seated before me. that they might know the sweetness of your love. For your glory, do this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.